0: Okay, so there's, a, there's an image in my mind, but um, a couple images, actually, but before we get to them, we have to talk about the, the prophet Malachi. So Malachi, uh, maybe you know this, is the final of the prophets in the Old Testament. So there's a bunch of prophets. There's four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And what makes a major prophet is just someone who has a longer book of prophecy. A minor prophet just has a, a shorter book that, uh, for, for some of the minor prophets, like, like Malachi, for example, you could sit down and read it in one sitting. Um, it's very, very quick. Um, Anyway, so Malachi is the last of the prophets. So the Lord, why does he send prophets? He sends prophets because he sees his people not living according to his laws. And if they're not living according to his laws, that means they can't have fellowship with him. right? Which which in itself, if we really let ourselves think about it, to have fellowship with God, communion with God, is an incredible gift. And if, if we're not following his laws and we can't have fellowship with him, then that means we're missing out on a really incredible gift. And so the Lord sends prophets, uh, oftentimes with kind of stern warnings, right? To, to, like, you, you need to change. Because if you don't change, it's not going to go well for you. And that's, that's what we've got going on here. Uh, Malachi saying, lo, the day is coming, blazing like an oven. So the day, when, whenever you see this phrase, the day, or sometimes you'll, you'll hear it called the day of the Lord. Whenever you see that phrase in the Bible, it's talking about this day this great judgment that's going to take place at the end of time. This is something that, that Jews believe. This is something that uh, Christians believe, not just Catholic Christians, but every Christian who, who reads the Bible believes this because it's very clear that at the end of all things, there's going to be a great big judgment that takes place. And we profess this in our creed, that Jesus is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Malachi doesn't He's writing before Jesus, of course, because he's writing the Old Testament. And so he doesn't he doesn't know that Jesus specifically is coming, but but he knows that the Lord is gonna do something, and that that's gonna happen on a day. And so when it's the day is coming, like a blazing oven, right? He's he's kind of warning them, right? This day is coming, so you gotta prepare yourself because what's gonna happen? Well all the proud and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them on fire, leaving them neither root nor branch, says the Lord of hosts. Right? So this, this judgment of the Lord, the day of the Lord is coming. And it's like a great big fire, like an oven uh, where people are going to be enveloped in his judgment. And those who are proud and evil doing will be stubble, right? This is something that I think we don't, we don't talk about much in, in today's world, in today's church, that the judgment is not going to be pl- pleasant for everybody, Right? The Bible is really clear about this. I mean, this one line from the prophet Malachi is really clear that people who are prideful, people who are evildoers, for them, the judgment is going to be incredibly unpleasant, incredibly painful. Right? So, so, for, so for us, we, we want to hear this, right? This is the goal of the prophet, for us to hear this and to get our minds moving, what does it mean to be prideful and evil doing, right? Many of us maybe, well, probably, I would say, would say, well, I don't do evil. That's not me. I'm not evil. But maybe, maybe we can ask ourselves the question, like, are we prideful? What does it mean to be prideful? It means, if I'm prideful, it means I set myself up above everyone else, even God, so that my preferences and my opinion and my way of thinking, these are what rule my life. Because after all, my life is my life, And so, because it's my life, I can decide what I'm going to do with it. Even though I might know what God wants me to do, I'm going to reject that and do my own thing. I might not understand what God wants me to do, and so I'm just going to dismiss it and do my own thing. So maybe many, many of us, probably all of us, would say we're not evil doing, but I think some of us, and this is probably all of us from time to time, would have to admit that we're prideful. Right? And so what the Lord's trying to do is try to get us our, get our attention, right? To see right not not that God is evil, right? But instead he's so good that he's warning us so that as we hear these words, we think, "Okay, I'm listening. Is there another option? Right? Is there a way for me to set aside my pride, to do something else so that the day of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord is not so unpleasant, so painful, but instead is there another way?" And Malachi says this but for you who fear my name there will arise the son of justice with its healing rays you who fear my name it's not that we're afraid of god it's that we don't want to break his commandments because he's the one who's going to judge us and so so it's not it's not that i'm afraid of him but it's that i'm i'm actually like I'm really concerned about not wanting to break his commandments because if I break his commandments, then I I break communion with him. If I break communion with him, then when the day of the Lord comes, well, that means I'm prideful. And I don't want to be prideful because I don't want that end. Right? So I want, I want to fear the I want to submit myself in every way to the Lord. I I know what he wants me to do, and I know what I want to do, and they don't always match up, and so I'm gonna surrender myself to him. I don't I don't I know what he wants me to do. I don't really understand it all the time. It doesn't always make sense to me. But I'm going to submit myself to him. Because I want to fear his name because then when I fear his name and I live in this place of fearing his name under him, then when his day of judgment comes, it's not going to be painful. It's going to actually be healing. It's going to be refreshing actually to be judged by God if I place myself under his authority submitting in every way to him. Right? That's, that's what I want to do. And, and I was just like, there's a couple of things. I was thinking about this. I was like, wow, what a stark contrast, right? There's, the two are so radically different from each other that the day of the Lord's judgment is either going to be incredibly painful and miserable and unpleasant, or it's actually going to be incredibly pleasant and relieving and healing, it doesn't seem like there's a middle ground here. And that's, that's part of the purpose here is for us to see that there is no middle ground with God. The commandment after all, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so if I'm not giving all to him, then that means I've got some pride in me that needs to be rooted out. Right, C.S. Lewis, uh, this great Christian author from the late 1800s and early 1900s, he writes he writes about how Jesus is either incredibly important, the most important, or he's not important at all. He's either the Lord, like he says he is, or he's a liar or a lunatic. Right? Jesus comes with some pretty strong words about himself, talking about how he's God. He's the one who sent from the beginning, about how God, we won't have eternal life if we don't do certain things, like be baptized or eat his flesh and drink his blood, about how we can't be his disciples unless we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. These are strong claims. And if he's lying about those things, then that means he's the great deceiver who's trying to just trick us into following him. And if, that, if he's a liar, right, then he's not important at all and we should reject him. Or he's just crazy, He's, he, he believes what he's saying, but he's just like, he's crazy and, and we shouldn't actually believe him then he's because he's just like spouting nonsense, right? So he's not important at all. Or he's actually who he says he is, the Lord of all, the, the Messiah who was sent to come. And if that's true, if he's the only one who can lead us into heaven, if that's true, then everything that he says we must obey and listen to. You see how he, C.S. Lewis says he cannot be moderately important. He can't be, well, you know, he's a good teacher. I don't agree with everything he says. He can't, he can't have that with Jesus. He is either the Lord or he's a liar and a lunatic. We, and we, it's, it's kind of for us to decide, and this is, this is part of the, what the prophets do. It's for us to decide, are we going to believe this or are we not going to believe it? And if we believe it, right, and we, we surrender ourselves to the Lord, then what happens when his judgment comes? it will be the most pleasant thing and my favorite my my favorite part about this is actually in it's it's in the very next sentence that we didn't hear so our reading ends for you who fear my name there will arise the son of justice with its healing rays and then it says this you shall go forth leaping like calves from the stall so when i when i first read this on on monday i was like okay i don't i don't know what that means so i, I do what i always do when I don't know what something means. I went to Google and I asked Google to tell me, what does this mean? So I grew up in the big city of Crookston, right? So I didn't grow up on a farm and I know some of you are are very familiar with with this image, calves coming from the stalls. Some of you have cows, right? And so you know what this is like. And so for for me, I didn't, so I had to Google it and it's like this really incredible thing, right? So calves, so maybe a lot of you already know what I'm about to explain, but whatever, I'm gonna explain it anyway. So right there, they're in the stalls, you open the gates for the first time in the spring or whatever it is and what happens? So you'd expect a cow to sort of mosey on out because that's what cows do. They're just sort of slow and lethargic. No, the first time you open the gates, they, they run out and they do this like, weird like, jumping thing right? where they jump with the, their back hooves and, and they're just like, cows can't really be excited, right? But just like, it seems like they're just super excited to be out of their stall and in the freedom of the pasture running and, and jumping and, and just sort of like having a great time. Right? And this, this is the image that the Lord wants us to have in our minds when we think about the day of the Lord. That, that when he comes to judge us for those who fear his name, right, it's going to be like he's opening the gate for the first time and we're meant to run and jump and rejoice at the goodness of it. Right? Because we're so delighted that we've been faithful to the Lord's commands and now we fear his name and so he comes with his healing rays and we're made free like for the first time. It makes me think of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. So this is the second image that I have in my mind. So some of you are familiar with this, Chronicles of Narnia, also written by C.S. Lewis. It's a seven-book series written for children, uh, and I, I love it. Yes, I read children's books. It's going to be okay, everybody. So this, this book, so it starts, of course, with this great lion, right? This lion who breathes everything into existence in this, this alternative world, Narnia, right? And this lion, his name is Aslan, who is, by the way, an image of Jesus, uh, that's, that's the point that C.S. Lewis was trying to get across in writing these books. So this, this line, he, he breathes Narnia into existence where there's cr- talking creatures and all kinds of crazy things happening. And then eventually these four kids come on uh, and, and they, they become really prominent figures in Narnia, uh, kings and queens in, in Narnia. And anyway, so the the whole series is about this great adventure that is is Narnia, that is the people of Narnia, this great adventure of like rescuing people and going on long adventures and and ruling over Narnia and all these different things, encountering Aslan. Aslan is at the center of all of it, this, this powerful, beautiful figure, this lion. The last book is called The Final Battle. And what happens is this other creature comes along and he pretends to be Aslan, and he rules in a way that is completely unlike Aslan. He's not good. He's evil, actually. And he convinces the people to live differently than how Aslan wants them to live. They start rebelling against the ways of Aslan, rebelling against the laws of Narnia. And what happens is there, there's a smaller group of people that understand this, this isn't Aslan. This, this can't be him. Eventually, the kids are brought in, and now they're adults. And it ends up in this great big battle where they're trying to battle for, for the health of Narnia, for the goodness of Narnia, and, and the evil forces are overcoming them, and so they end up sort of backed up into a corner, and it seems like all is lost. They, kind of go, they end up going into this shelter, uh, through a doorway, uh, this dark shelter, where it seems like they're going to they're gonna die, be killed. But this is the incredible thing, is that when they enter into the shelter, they turn around and realize that the shelter leads into an, a passage, a portal, into an entirely new world. That is, it's actually, they see it to be much more incredible than Narnia. None of the evil people are allowed in. And so they they look around and they're like, this is amazing. And they start walking and then they hear this voice further up and further in. And so they start going and they start running. And they realize that as they're running, they're not getting tired and they're able to run faster than they ever could run before. They run into a waterfall at one point and they start running up the waterfall. Like this, this incredible place where it's like before they thought they had something good in Narnia, but now, right now, Narnia is corrupt. They remain faithful to Aslan and to Narnia and now they're brought into this, this new world where, where everything is perfect and so much better than they could possibly have, have understood it before. You you might say that that Aslan opened a a gate for them and now they're brought into this place where they can run and jump and be free. It's this incredible world. And brothers and sisters, it's incredible because they were faithful, right? And this all is an image of the final judgment. C.S. Lewis, again, had this in mind, that this is an image of heaven. But they could only enter into this new world. The gate could only be opened to them because they remained faithful to Aslan and to Narnia, right? This this ultimately is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about by your perseverance, you will secure your lives. He's talking about this at the end, right? How is it that we will enter into this new world? It's by faithfulness, by perseverance, in faithfulness to him. Because Jesus knows this. He knows that we live in a world that is prone more and more and more always to turning its face on God, to turning away from him. He talks about this, how how people are going to come along, right? They're going to rise against nation. They're going to lead you before kings and magistrates because of my name. They're going to, they're going to do what? They're going to, be hand, they're going to hand you over. You're going to be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. I think some of us are even experiencing this now, or at least we know the temptation of it. I know lots of people in my life as well as in, in the church in general. I know lots of people who have children, relatives, spouses sometimes, who, who just have begun to despise the church, have begun to despise Christianity. And so what happens is, we sort of live in this fear of, well, I don't, I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be rejected by my family, by my friends. And so what happens is, there's a big temptation to just not say anything. There's a big temptation to not call people out on their sins. There's a big temptation to not remind people of the commandments of God. There's a big temptation to not live according to gospel values all the time. I know people, I know people in my family who go to mass every week except when they're with other family members that don't go to mass. I don't want to, I don't want to cause a burden. I don't want to make any waves. So I just don't go. It's like, Oh, you're missing out on fidelity, on perseverance. You're missing out on the goodness of what Jesus promises. How many of us find ourselves tempted in these ways? And like I said, this is this is for me as well. I find myself tempted regularly in this way. Well, I just I won't say anything because I don't want to cause any problems. And what happens? Well, I'm not that means I'm not persevering. If I'm not persevering, I'm not securing my life. Brothers and sisters, it's only if we let ourselves be willing to stay in what feels like a constricted cage. It's not actually a constricted cage, but it feels like that sometimes. It feels like we're being backed into a corner and, and we're stuck living in this place of fear. And if I live in that fear, then that means I'm eventually going to end up climbing out of the cage. And then when the Lord opens the gate, there won't be anyone to run through it, to run and jump and rejoice. But I said, I got to hang in there. This is the big encouragement from the Lord is to persevere, to hang in there. Be willing to feel like you're being backed into a cage so that when the Lord opens the door, it's not a question of if, it's when the Lord opens the door, you can see unlocked before you a whole new world, a whole new pasture where you can run and jump and rejoice. You can stand up straight because your salvation is at hand. And so we want to ask the Lord to just give us this grace of perseverance. Maybe we want to ask the Lord for some of us to give us the grace of repentance of of any areas in our life where we're hanging on to pride and we need to submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus. But then within that, Jesus, give us the grace of perseverance so that we can secure our lives so that we can look forward and actually long for Your judgment, the judgment that is to come, which will free us, release us into a new world of joy and perfection. Amen.